Hello and happy Sunday and welcome to another edition of Weightless and Mind, Body and Spirit with yours truly, your host, Dr. Carol Penn. We're going to go, we're going to have some countdown and let people wake up to their Sunday morning with us. Ah, yes, yes, yes. I am so excited this Sunday morning, mid-April 1, because I didn't have to get my taxes done this week. That's got me excited. Oh, you know, have to, oh, you know, got a whole month to get it together. Yes, Lord, help me get it together in a timely fashion. I'm excited because, ah, I took a deep breath this morning. I, I, I actually took a walk at sunrise and it was so beautiful and you know a, a, a coach that i work with so poignantly said a few months ago as human beings we only have an infinite infinite number of sunrises and sunsets in our lives let's not miss too many of them and again you know god just kisses each day with such beauty, such beauty. And I was so grateful, so grateful. Well, I'm not going to talk too much longer about my morning because we have a superstar, super friend, special guest waiting for us backstage. I'm going to bring him on in a minute. But first, why are you here? Weightless in mind, body, and spirit. You know, I am doubly board certified in family medicine and obesity medicine. And I'm also a master meditation mindset and movement coach, two-time best-selling author, wife, mother, sister, daughter, and all those roles that all of us play in the spirit of Ubuntu. I am all of who I am because of all of who we are together. So I am going to introduce my guest. I think I'm going to bring him on camera just so you can gaze upon his handsome countenance while I am introducing Dr. Jarrett Patton, Dr. Jarrett Patton, and we're going to do a weightless and mind, body, and spirit welcome on to the show before we say hello to those who have, there he is, look, he's got a great big, look at that smile, listen, you know, my mother would say, oh, and he has dimples too, you know, so she always loved to smile with dimples because that meant it was broad and full and full of light, so all right, so I'm going to read his bio. So let me go over here and take a check this out. Dr. Jarrett Patton is a board certified pediatrician who has served thousands of children in Eastern Pennsylvania for over 20 years. He is the number one best-selling and award-winning author of The License to Live. And whose badass kids are those? I, I love that title. Whose badass kids are those? How many of us haven't asked that question? Book series. Having been featured in the media over 200 times, he spreads his messages of hope, inspiration, and all things children to stages and media outlets across the nation. So not only 
does he do it with children? But he really spans the lifetime. You'll see as, as you get to know Dr. Jarrett, all of the things that he's involved in from childhood through adulthood. He also has a License to Live podcast, Redefining Your Career as a Doctor, Nurse, Physician, or an Executive. And of course, you can schedule and make appointments with him. And we're going to talk about his practice. We're going to talk about what he does with corporations. And very importantly today, we're going to talk about the ACE study, Adverse Childhood Event Study, and how this relates and this goes all the way through life. And maybe these are some things you need to be aware of in yourself or in family members. And again, we hope that you really enjoy all that we have in store today. So welcome, Dr. Jarrett. Thank you, Dr. Carol. Thank you for having me on today. I'm just so thrilled to be here with everyone this morning. We're, yeah, I have to tell everybody. So let me tell you, here's the tea on how Dr. Jared and I met. We were attending, we have the same business coach, Dr. Dreon Birch, woohoo! And we were attending a conference traditionally held in April. We were both actually guest presenters at this conference just a weekend ago. So here we are back in the day, it was uh, 2019. No, 2018. 2018, already three years. My life has been immeasurably blessed by knowing this man for the past three years. And the conference was having yoga classes, you know, like seven o'clock in the morning. And so Dr. Jarrett and his beautiful wife, Damara, here they come down with the yoga mats. And Dr. Jarrett's kind of muttering under his breath. And my, my, my wife is making me take this class. She's been talking about yoga. And I promised her, I don't know anything. And he said, looks over at me and he said, y'all need to go up front a little bit. I'm going to put my mat right here back in, in between so, so, so I can have somebody to lead. I, you know, I need to follow. I'm not quite sure about this. And so he says, I don't even know if I can stay for the whole class. Well, <laughs> not only did he stay for the whole class, he actually said, you know, I kind of liked it. You know, he tried every posture. And then afterwards, we just had a, a lovely conversation, exchanged cell phone numbers, and the rest, as they say, is history. So, And so I really, you know, being a movement person and someone who just so you know, yeah, well, master movement coach, right? So being a movement person, I so appreciate someone who wants to be alive in their body and someone who's willing to try something new because it really is so fundamental, fundamentally important to our life, our health and our well-being and our vitality throughout our lifespan. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. And I do remember that day, Dr. Carol, and, and, for me, I know yoga is something that you get a lot of benefits from, both in your mind and your body. And at that point, I was really focusing on the body because I know you have to be strong to do yoga in some of these poses. And and I said, well, I'm going to give something to try. It's not exactly in my comfort. I don't exactly know what I'm going to do. But hey, these two these two women around me, meaning you and my wife, I said, hey, they, they love this. There's something to it. So I'm just going to get up and do it and, and start my movement early in the morning. And ever since that day, it's just been been a, a great connection between you and I. 
And it's just a blessing. It's one of those things in life that happens for a reason. That's right. And sometimes we don't know the reason in the moment. You think it might be, you know, just a momentary. uh, And sometimes it is. It's just a very fleeting. It's a little spark. And other times it is the beginning of a, a pathway. Well, you know, that beautiful poem, Footprints in the Sand, where you look down and you'll be seeing each other's footprints in the sand for a time and a season. So we are so excited about that. So good morning, Victoria. So now Victoria is one of the nation's preeminent occupational therapists. And she joins, I would say, 99.9% of our shows. So we're so excited to welcome Victoria this morning. And here we have Mary Ann. Mary Ann is one of the preeminent business people in Monmouth County, where I live. So we've known each other for a long time. And again, both of these women, like these bright minds, they get up early and they're ready. They're coming for us, Dr. Jared. They're coming for Miss Rebecca. So Miss Victoria, Miss Marianne, and Miss Rebecca preeminent therapist in Connecticut. Her mom and I were in my first dance company together. And she was the little girl that her mom used to bring that would kind of sit over at the in the corner for rehearsals. She is she a grown up woman right now making her own contributions in the world. So good morning and welcome Mr. Patrick from Indianapolis. And again, just I'm just aware in my heart for that. Well, the 45th mass shooting taking place in Indianapolis just this past week. So, you know, taking a breath on that, even as we know, we're preparing to get into our topic of today, where we're going to be talking about adverse childhood events. We're going to be talking about these adverse adult events as well and tying it together for our health. Yes. Good morning and welcome Miss Sharon. Hashtag Meditation Nation. Good morning, Red Bank Regional High School track team in the house. Good morning, Miss Shirley. Yes. I lettered in track, Dr. Darren. I lettered in track. Good morning, Mr. Aubrey. Again, Red Bank in the house. I love to see when, you know, the people that I grew up with who have the energetic imprint of this community in their hearts, spirits, and souls joining us on the show. So Rebecca saying, welcome, Dr. Jared. Good morning, Miss Patricia. Woo, looking great. Oh, she's looking forward to the um, ACES study conversation. Good morning, Miss Christina. Oh, my friend and colleague. Good morning, Dr. Kathy. So, Dr. Jarrett, I do a national show. I've written it. Well, it's a, it's, it's a national, national program, Unpacking Racism. And my accomplice and contributor and partner and friend, Dr. Kathy Weisstock, out there in Wisconsin, very close. She works for children, so she's always, you know, has to drive back and forth where the George Floyd murder took place and what a journey that we've been on. And Dr. Kathy and I have presented on the A study together. Ah, so Miss Rebecca, oh, we have we have somebody that wants to come work with us. So Miss Rebecca's getting licensed in Pennsylvania as we speak. Good good morning, Dr. Lindy, America's preeminent fashionista for physicians and emergency room expert. My goodness. So we have got a great 
audience here with us. Let's get on into it. Let's get on into it. So, Dr. Jarrett, could, could you share with people your viewpoint about the ACE study? And let's like kind of do an overview overall of that. Great. Well, thanks for having me on. This is one of the topics that I love to speak about uh, at parenting conferences, at fatherhood, motherhood conferences, uh, when we're learning about kids, because the ACEs study was a study, just to give a little background, called the Adverse Childhood Events Study. It's a landmark study done mostly in California, mostly uh, in the 90s, looking at middle-class people who have health insurance. So this got a, well, middle-class family with middle-class problems. And what they found during this time is that they looked back all the way back in these working adults' childhood. They looked at their life as they grew up. And if they had uh, any kind of trauma, and trauma can be can come in, in all types of forms. It can be something as horrific as sexual abuse or physical abuse, uh, but it can also mean things like uh, exposure to violence within your home, exposure to violence within your neighborhood, uh, lack of, of food security. Uh, it, it can mean so many different things um, that we didn't always consider as a trauma. So they looked at these adults throughout their life and looked at their health outcomes. They looked at things like their rates of getting cancer, their rates of smoking, their rates of having heart disease, uh, the rates of, of having depression, many other signs and symptoms of, of stress within the body, so to speak. They, they ultimately looked at all of these people and they said, hey, if you had more of these adverse childhood experiences in your life, you tended to have worse health outcomes. You tended to be more overweight. You tended to smoke. You tended to have more issues with heart disease, maybe more dis uh, issues with cancer. And the more of these experiences, the worse off you were. And, and they really looked at these folks and said their life expectancy actually was shortened because of these, these adverse child experiences that we carry throughout our lifetime. We have to think about our lives in general and, and how our, life, our lives are based on experiences. And all of these experiences, good or bad, are what shape us out here today. So as we are looking at this landmark study based on middle-class people, um, and, and they did not have a large uh, minority population studied in here, we're seeing health outcomes in people that actually had some good jobs, they had some health insurance, and they said all of these things that happened back in childhood contributed to their current health status. And that's just totally mind-blowing for all of us. Yeah, it really was. When we say landmark, because this was 17,000 people that participated in this study, and it was like, oh, so, and when we talk about there's uh, there's three types of adverse childhood events that they were looking at in the study. So there was abuse, neglect, and household dysfunction. <laughs> That's where most of us at least get the one. <laughs> 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 you 
there are very few people that I know that can't say, well, I remember my parents having, you know, big arguments about, which can be uh, traumatic for a child. So with uh, under abuse, there's physical abuse, emotional abuse, and sexual abuse. Under neglect, we have physical and emotional. Under household dysfunction, and that includes if one or either parent had a mental illness, um, if someone was a, a relative that was incarcerated, um, substance abuse, um, mother treated violently, or it could be the father treated violently. That happens. Either parent, you know, um, treated violently, and the child witnessing this and divorce. All of these things under household dysfunction can were things that were measured and that were significant in terms of contributing to the from con and it's not even after when the child is alive it's from conception to yes. death we see the, the downstream of this and it was just you know again mind boggling and we're still learning from it we're still learning from it and when you think about maslow's hierarchy of needs that's where we see the epigenetic mechanisms and the intergenerational transmission right and it starts you know adverse childhood experiences from those categories and often leads to early death so people dying prematurely people dying in their 50s and 60s and sometimes even earlier accounting for everything else so we see the disrupted neurodevelopment in childhood social emotional and cognitive impairment adaptation of health risk behavior so let's just put a pause in that this morning and talk about the incidents where the 13 year old ended up dead in that alley in Chicago. So could it be a possible link if we were to learn that child's history and that child's family history, that is there a possibility that we could trace some of that to adverse child's childhood experience? Because it is certainly a risky health behavior to join a gang. Thoughts, Dr. Jarrett? Absolutely. And, and these are the types of, of results that we see across the country, not only in, in that case in Chicago, but we see it in children all around the country. And, you know, the cities, the suburbs, the rural areas, it does not matter where you live. These are the things that are, that are affecting our, our youth. And I love what you said, Dr. Carroll, because it oftentimes just takes that additional question rather than just jumping to judgment or saying, you know, something to pass. Let's just take a moment and pause and, and, and say, what led up to all that happened in that child's life before that point? And let's look at the circumstances. Let's look at perhaps some of the trauma. Let's look at the things that led to this pathway. And when we don't ask that question, when we don't and we just start making assumptions or just saying, oh, shouldn't have been up that late anyway, or we start going down that pathway, it ends up being uh, a disservice to many because we're missing the point. There are things that we can invoke within systems, within our communities, our neighborhoods that can help prevent some of these things. But, you know, they're going to continue to happen time and time again until we 
get to some of those root causes, which really back all the way up through through the time of conception. We're looking at, at some of these events in, ch- in children at conception. Absolutely. And now in a few days before that, we had a 20 year old who was shot and killed. Dante Wright, Mr. Dante Wright. Now, he he wasn't engaging in risky behavior. He was just driving until he was stopped, you know, because his his plates had expired. And then, you know, what ensued in those moments where perhaps he felt we don't know. We don't know quite all that was going on, although I can take a guess having been stopped, been in cars that were stopped for driving while black. And there was nothing wrong when any expired tags wasn't wasn't you know anything. Could it be that being born into a certain marginalized community without anything else going on is an adverse childhood event in and of itself? Absolutely, because there are too many things that happen to black folks in America uh, simply because they are black. And this is a conversation I end up having to have with with my children as well and talk about even if you're in the right, even if you're not doing anything wrong, there's a possibility that you are going to be pulled over or questioned or interrogated or searched or something else simply because of the way you look. And that's a difficult conversation to have. And, and not everybody has these conversations, but we know these interactions, there's so many different power dynamics, systemic uh, challenges with, within the system that, well, at the end of the day, this one interaction that happens on, you know, the routine traffic stop can turn so deadly. And, and, and we must look at all of these issues to, to get to some solutions here. Yeah, absolutely. And I know I find myself having the talk multiple times, you know, just just a reminder, reminder, Mm -hmm. your job is to live, to take your next breath, live another day, you know, do not put yourself in that situation. Well, you know, it's funny because living in a black or brown body or any other marginalized community. So now we've seen what's happening with the Asian community. We have seen for millennia what's happening, you know, with the um, indigenous communities, you are at risk. You are at risk. So what lessens your chances, what lessens the likelihood that you will be targeted in a, a, a negative way? And, you know, take this, you know, the impact of an early death, which is something, you know, so early death, you know, it's not just by disease, you know, you have to think across the spectrum of mind, body, and spirit of what's going on. And and just, you know, some um, interesting, well, we have have two questions here. So I'm going to go to these questions and then we're going to let you answer the questions and then we'll go back into presenting some more of the facts around this study. So from, from my husband, is the ACE study ongoing or historical reference point? Yes, it, it, it is a, a historical reference point as far as, as 
the information that the study provided over these 17,000 individuals. Uh, but it showed such earth-shattering information that it continues to shape future research. So, so more studies are being done. People are identifying trauma as a health risk factor. As a result, people are becoming more uh, what we call trauma-informed in their approaches to medicine, realizing that these stressors and these traumas that occur throughout childhood or any part in, in your life have a cumulative effect on your health. So that study, although it, it's been completed, it still shapes future research and future therapies. All right, thank you. So, and from Ms. Patricia, uh, Dr. Jarrett, please discuss what therapies do you think help heal from childhood trauma trapped in the body? Yeah, well, well great question. Thank you for asking. And it really has to do with, with identifying the trauma and, and knowing that the trauma is there because sometimes we don't even understand the trauma because of what we live with in our skin every day, whether they're forms of um, microaggressions or someone being not, uh, you know, uh, giving you a slight perhaps in, in, a, in an indirect way and maybe not totally malicious way whether it's some direct form of, of racism you've experienced in your life, uh, whether it is being exposed to neighborhood violence. Uh, all of these types of things can change and, uh, and, and actually you're saddled with this burden. You're saddled with this burden throughout your life. So there are a number of therapies that I think are helpful. And, and, and number one is, is just having that family unit therapy and have these open discussions about these things that happen, not only within the child's lifetime, but then it is some of these shared experiences or generational experiences of trauma that uh, become life lessons. I know listening to my parents who grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, listening to some of their stories as they grew up in the, uh, in the 50s and 60s, uh, was very different than any experience I had as a child, but yet it's part of their trauma in their life lifetime. Uh, counseling, counseling, uh, something as straightforward as that is something that uh, can bring out a lot of help. It helps people identify sources of trauma, and then it gives strategies to help cope with that trauma moving forward. Uh, and of course, when we're talking about Dr. Carroll, we can't forget the body in this. So exercise movement is extremely important. And in, in not only this dealing with the adverse effects of trauma, but dealing with everyday life. Yeah, absolutely. So, so my approach, I, I love framing it within helping a person understand their, their purpose. You know, so what there, there's the test. Now, what's your testimony in that? Helping them understand their resilience, the importance of activity, the importance of nutrition, the importance of sleep. So all of those and, and those approaches. So because it's really what we're talking about is lifestyle medicine and guiding a person in that so that while, you know, you can expand your your agency to be bigger than your trauma 
that you are more than your trauma. It's a part of you, but it is not all of who you are. And sometimes it's to help people understand that they have trauma. So here we go. So Ms. Rebecca, our therapist, is saying other therapies are somatic therapy. Yes, the body is all about the body. Get excited. EMDR and energy healing such as Reiki are good therapies to come to resolution. So, you know, it's really interesting. I don't know. I love like the X-Men movies. And I was watching one of the, the prequel movies last night, you know, like had a little night off to relax a bit. So Diem and I were watching. And at the end of um, the movie, one of the things that they do, so this was, you know, the apocalyptic event of the world. And one of the thing, therapies that they do is they use Reiki to begin to, to move the molecular structure of the destroyed structures so they would reform. You know, so like, whoa, interesting, interesting. So, you know, as my husband always says, you know, when they put something out in science fiction, that means in some lab they're actually working on this (laughs) (laughs) to make it possible for more people to manifest it in this way. And, And I agree with that. There's so many things that we don't know about how to manipulate the electric electromagnetic field that we're in i you know i think there's a lot of things that are possible great uh, uh creativity as well as great destruction you have to look at the flip side as well so yes so miss rebecca's saying whole health as mm-hmm. as well patricia says thank you so now from miss victoria the home environment is key to the outcome. How are the parents handling parenthood? I do believe in parenting classes. What is their understanding of being a parent? How or what is the support system at home or outside the home around the children and the family? Being a parent is not an easy feat. Hello. No, it's not. Hardest job there is. As for the societal perception, don't even get me started. <laughs> Yeah, whose badass kids are those anyway? <laughs> exactly. That that's the question you end up asking because, well, another one of my favorite lectures really goes about all of the things that you need to do to have certifications. You need to be licensed to be a hairstylist. You need to be licensed to be a pilot. You need to be licensed to be a truck driver. You need to even to be a licensed to fly a drone. All of these things, you need licenses and at some point, some additional education to be able to do these things. But parenting doesn't have that. Parenting it really just creates, a, you know, some some chromosomes and some some things getting together. And, and all of a sudden a, a baby is formed. Right. And as a parent, oftentimes you just parent based on how you were parented. You just say, well. This is how I was parented. I didn't like when that happened. So I'm going to modify this and then just go forward because you don't have time to have that kind of, you know, sit down and say, well, I'm going to take a whole course during this time. And a lot of parents have that, you know, nine months to prepare. But after that point, hey, we're just taking this day by day by day, no matter what happens. Uh, And a lot of times when I'm teaching some of these things around behavioral strategies at at the Who's Badass Kids or those classroom at NoBadassKids.com, you can see 
all of these things coming together because, well, there's strategies to learn. There's some things that that we can learn as parents to minimize the trauma on, on our kids. There's some things that that we may do or say that could be traumatic, but we just simply don't know that answer. Uh, so and looking at the home environment, looking at the neighborhood, looking at the parental experience, you know, it, 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 so, so this is where the intergenerational stress comes in there because, you know, parents have been parents for generations. And if you're not there, and there's no perfect manual for this. And, and I've wrote a couple of books on the topic. I mean, I'll be the first to say there's no perfect manual for this, but you must try to learn a little bit because, Flying by the seat of your pants, you know, you'll you'll get by and things will probably be okay. But to be a more effective parent, you need to learn. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as the world is getting more and more complex. And so at, at one time when things are at a great distance, well, if you've got a cell phone and you have access to more information than anyone else previously in history. So in many, many ways, you know, this is an extraordinary time to be alive. And at the same token, it's also a very challenging time to be alive. So I want to get back to uh, just uh, another swipe and look at the cycle of adverse childhood experiences. So we know from the study that two thirds of the adult population have at least one ACE in their history. And we know that when you have at least one, all it takes is one, you're two times more likely to experience physical health issues. You're three times more likely to experience mental health issues. And 87% have experienced multiple ACEs. So that's with just one. And 87 of us have more than one. And then children raised by an adult with one or more ACEs. So this is, again, this is why these parenting classes and parenting information books, you know, might be so critically important, particularly going forward in our, you know, in some ways feels like society is devolving with the events that we're seeing unfolding here in the United States. But I know somewhere, some like in communities such as this, communities within the medical mogul community, we're working on evolution, evolving. I know I'm absolutely committed to that, but children raised by an adult with one or more ACEs are a thousand times more likely to suffer their own adverse experiences. So if you're a parent out there, if you're an auntie, if you're an uncle, if you're an you know, older brother, if you're in any way involved with children or touch the lives of a child, think about these things and then begin to think about, well, what are the skills perhaps of resiliency and self-regulation that this child might need in order to expand their peripheral vision and their horizons beyond that adverse childhood event. Mm -hmm. And that's that Dr. Carroll is, is so difficult. Um, I use another example with type two diabetes. Now people can be familiarly susceptible to diabetes. It does run in families, but one of the biggest factors in type two diabetes is being overweight. And for some families, 
it's just a part of getting older. And people just say, well, yeah, your uncle had diabetes, developed diabetes, your mom developed diabetes, your cousins developed diabetes. That's just the natural stage of what you do. So at some point, you're going to turn 40 and you're going to have diabetes. And people approach life that way and just say, oh, well, I can't change that outcome. That's just going to happen to me. That's predetermined to me. So, well, I'm not going to take any action on that. And I just develop diabetes like everyone else in your family. However, with a different understanding, you say, well, it doesn't necessarily have to happen just because it's a part of my imprint. There are some things that I could do to stave off or to prevent that and put some measures in there. But if you never understand that, then you just go on with with life as as it's as it's supposed to be. Absolutely. And so true. And in and, and, and even though I always like to say, you know, at the root, all diseases are reversible. We don't necessarily know the pathway to that. And I love your example with diabetes because, you know, more and more research is coming out. This is again, if you modify and change lifestyle you can do a lot to either put yourself in a controlled situation or reverse it. But again, a lot of people just stop. Oh, it runs in the family. And, you know, they, you know, they just assume that this is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it's supposed to unfold. And and I feel that, you know, we in the medical community, those of us that have this additional knowledge and who have, you know, done the extra training and the extra thought work to become trauma-informed to support whatever our specialty may be really has something to offer the community and the and you know and the and the public along those lines so good morning good morning miss martha i'm telling you my hometown community is in the house this morning on this morning show so now miss patricia is saying i've had the same thought dr Derek. I wish they had parenting classes in high school and college or your ob would give info on parenting classes. I know so many people that were freaked out when they were sent home with a baby from the hospital. Oh, yes. They're going to send this home with me. Yikes. They didn't know what to do to care for the baby. Yeah. You're right. And and I and, and even myself, I remember coming home with my first baby and be like, wow, well, uh, this is it. This certainly is life changing. I, you know, got to do the best that we can. And and honestly, parenting is about that. You, you need to do the best that you can. However, you can take some additional strategies to to maybe learn. And, and there are resources all over the Internet uh, that can give you some pretty good, reliable information about parenting and and understanding what it takes and some things that you can do. Because although babies and, and children are extremely resilient, they get better quickly if they get sick, if, if they, they continue to develop and grow. And there's so many great things going on in their body. But you just can't throw them out there in the woods and come back and get them 20 years later and, and see what happens. They need some nurturing to go along with the, their inherent nature. Absolutely. I know, throw them out in the woods and then come back when you're 18. <laughs> <laughs> Just see what happens. I don't know. I think there was a, a, a book about that, the jungle book or something. I don't know. Right, right. It's so funny. It's like, well, 
my my oldest son one time he was thinking oh he might really like a you know a little sister this is before dm and i married and you know thank thankfully god gave him a little brother uh but he would say mommy i think you need to um adopt and and you need to uh, uh adopt we need a little sister and i want you to adopt somebody about six years old because i think i think i, I think it'd be better for you if you adopt somebody who's already potty trained <laughs> <laughs> Very specific. I like that. Yeah, I can tell. I'm not going to embarrass him because he's not here to defend himself. But I can tell one of those embarrassing parenting stories about our venture with body training. I'll just leave it going that. Somebody about six. They're 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 potty trained, and you know, and and they and they have nice table manners. Then so. No, 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 don't bring them the wild type children in here that you got to go through all that with. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we you know, definitely had fun with that. So um, let's see. Miss Rebecca is saying it runs in the family is the larger version of I am who I am. Both are disempowering change. Yes, they are uncoupling that person from change for sure, for sure. So now, Dr. Jarrett, I would love it if let's just let's switch just a little bit from the this conversation, this is an important unfolding conversation. And I'm thinking about our colleague, Dr. Donna Hamilton, another fabulous pediatrician who who has done so much work around this ACEs study. But tell us about, you have a medical practice. I know people are, Dr. Chair, are you still practicing? You, you're doing practicing clinically? So yes, let's, let's hear about your clinical practice. Yeah, so I still do have a clinical practice. It, it's it's a small practice, and it's not a typical practice. It's not even a brick-and-mortar practice. Uh, but I do take care of, of individuals and families uh, through telemedicine. It particularly came more popular during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, I've been working in the field of telemedicine for over 10 years. And the pandemic gave us this opportunity to say, you know what, there are a lot of things I don't actually have to physically travel in to see the doctor for. There are a lot of things that we don't have to have that touch because so much of of what goes on in our lives is maybe affected by other things like trauma, what we're talking about today. Uh, But, hey, if I need to see my doctor at the time, we can see we can see my doctor and it and it's super simple and super effective and it's something i've been able to add since i do travel quite a bit across the country uh that i can still be available for my patients even when they are you know that i'm three thousand miles away from them yeah no telemedicine and telehealth is it's it's here to stay for many, many, many reasons, and 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 one thing you know, so you're um, you're licensed in Pennsylvania. Yes. So your your patient has to also have a residence in Pennsylvania. So let's not get you know get it twisted. So you could be three thousand miles away. They could be ten thousand miles away. But the uh, the doctor uh, patient relationship is established by by location. The fact that you're both residents and that you're licensed in the state of Pennsylvania. So like myself, I'm licensed in New Jersey and in Pennsylvania. So I can see people from both, either 
in that live in either location. And that's how the connection is made. Now, if somebody wants to work with me and they're in California, you know, you know, that's something that can happen through a coaching program, but not that doctor patient relationship. And if they need the doctor patient relationship, I'm going to reach out and refer them to one of our colleagues that live in the state of California, for example. Or like if I were to decide I need to get a a license in California, then that also would allow that. And so, you know, some of this is confusing for people, but that's, you know, that's how it works um, with these licensed professions. And so I know, you know, both of you and I do work on the license side and we also do work on the coaching side, which brings me to my next question. Tell me about your work in corporate America. Oh boy, I I, lo- I love uh, just the way things have developed in my business uh, because I used to work a lot with individuals uh, and working with them around career change. Which, well, let's face it, our jobs in and of themselves can be traumatic at times, um, <laughs> or maybe a lot of the times, which causes people to want to have change and want to do something different. And for me, uh, working in corporate and working with, you know, some of the best hospitals in the nation, working with other large uh, Fortune 500 brands, you get the understanding that, well, yes, even under this umbrella of something so tremendous, that pe- there are individual people running the system. And sometimes people need help. Sometimes they stumble or they may not be as effective as they need to be. And it, it and, and that's kind of where I help. I help people evolve and change uh, through my executive leadership coaching and, and around career transition. So uh, for me, being able to work with corporations, being able to work with hospital systems who are really investing in their employees. That's what it comes to at the, at the end of the day, because they realize that even individuals that work for a large corporation, they may have trauma as well, and they may have things that they need to work through so they can be the most, most effective person. So uh, it just shows the change in times that people understand these connections a little bit more and they're a little bit less likely to say, well, just show up and punch the clock at eight and punch out at four 30. They're really trying to invest a little bit more realizing that happy, healthy employees are going to really make the company even better. Absolutely. So, um, my friend and colleague, uh, psychologist Dawson Church, PhD, defines trauma in the following four ways. Because again, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, they keep thinking, what's wrong with me? How come I'm not advancing? How come I'm not happy here? And they're asking why, 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 which is why they seek us out in the first place, is that there are four things that if any of these four things have happened, you have had an aspect of trauma occur in your life. So one, perceived as a threat to the person's physical survival. Mm -hmm. Perceived as a threat to the person's physical survival. Yeah, good morning, Linda. Thank you for joining us. So yeah, and again, how many of us think about it, think about it across 
you know, whether you're in a marginalized community or not, have had that experience. Two, overwhelms their coping capacity, producing a sense of powerlessness. Mm-hmm. How many times have you felt powerless? Powerless. Number three, produces a feeling of isolation and aloneness. So another question, we're circling back to ACEs and we're circling back to perhaps what some might see as a post-traumatic stress syndrome. Has not this global pandemic produced a feeling of isolation and aloneness in many, if not all of us? Dr. Carroll, the pandemic in and of itself, if you had absolutely no other stressor in your life, uh, this pandemic counts as one for everybody. Uh, There's been so much disruption, so much change, so much fear, so much anxiety, so much unknown uh, about this all the way through. I mean, this is the first time all of us are living through something like this. And well, we didn't know how to react. We are learning how to react. And, and should something like this continue to happen or happen again in a different way, we'll be a little bit more prepared. Mm-hmm. However, uh, particularly for the children who who we all know that children learn best in an in-person environment. Our whole entire educational system has been set up for in-person learning. Lately, over the past decade or so, There's been a lot more online learning, both in primary and secondary and beyond. However, most children are set up for in-person learning. And if all of a sudden that's taken away like it was last March, then that's a disruption and change. And one of the things that help children get through tough times is creating a schedule for them and having a schedule that they can rely on. Because if something is willy-nilly, oh, I get on the bus and go to school one day, then next day I'm I'm not going anywhere and I'd have to, you know, see if, if the internet is gonna work and, and what kind of computer do I even have if I have a computer at home and now I'm supposed to tune in and listen to a teacher who hasn't time had time to even prepare their learning plan and lesson plan for being, uh, you know, talking to their students through a computer. So this pandemic has has put a burden of stress on our kids. And if there's anything that you could do personally uh, is create a schedule. And that's something I started talking about early, early, early in the pandemic, because you may not be able to control what your child's school does. You may not be able to control what your local public officials do what's open, what's closed, depending on what state you live in. But what you can do is try to get a little bit more control in in the daily schedule. So I created kind of a COVID-19 homeschool schedule for parents that kind of guided them through a general routine that you could take through them throughout the day, whether they were in school or not in school, trying to get them a little bit of understanding the the need for some physical activity, which a lot of times, because we were told to stay in our homes, we didn't get much physical activity or we didn't know how to get physical activity in that way because we're used to going somewhere for it or doing something somewhere else. So we're looking at how how that movement 
fits in. And we have to look at, you know, when a child may eat, when they wake up, when they go to bed, and you can get all of those of those things under control in your own roof, which will reduce some of that stress and anxiety in your child because they just don't know what to expect today. In fact, my kids uh, had been back in in live in-person learning five days a week um, for maybe a couple of months. But my oldest son, who's in high school, the school gets too many cases, they have to shut down. So he was all prepared to go through a lot of track meets. He's, he's, he, he wants to be a, a, a letterman just like you, Dr. Carroll, and, and track and, and get that taken care of. But then all of a sudden he's like, oh, now my Friday and Saturday, there's no longer any track meets because my school is closed. And those things are tough to deal with. Um, and they can be challenging and, and they can be a form of micro trauma in your child's life. So we yeah. have to think about all these things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So welcome, uh, Mr. Clifton, a first time viewer. He's saying this is true. This is true. So, you know, it is really um, everything you're saying. It's so poignant. And I just remember I, I, I was like a little bit of a jock. So I was on a rifle team. Yes, I said rifle. I was on an equestrian team. I was on a track team. I was on a gymnastic team and I was in a dance company. I was to go, 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 physical, 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 physical. And I just, how different my life would have been had all that been shut down. Shut down, just, you know, just, you know, destroying that expectation. And that's the fourth sign of trauma, things that violate their expectations. And so for your son to have that expectation violated, I had a patient, she had prepared early for her prom. She had her gown. She had the makeup put. She knew what hairstyle she wanted. She had beautiful long hair. And she was, she came in and this was her doctor's visit to me. It was supposed to be a get ready to go to college exam. And she said, I don't even know if I'm going to college. You know, I, I'm in, but I was I was expecting and hoping to meet other freshmen to move into my dorm room. And we talked about that prom. And I told her, I said, listen, you dress up, you put on that makeup, you get your hair done and you take those pictures. Don't let that dress sit in the closet. You celebrate you. You celebrate you. So, um, Miss Martha is asking, oh, we are we in the last six minutes. You have to come back, Dr. Jarrett. You're going to have to come back. So could you set some line on children with learning disabilities, something like auditory processing deficit or ADD causing trauma in a child's life and that child growing older through adulthood and not getting proper therapies or having a form of autism and not being properly diagnosed and the trauma it caused for someone developing and being different and bullied because they are different. Woo! That's 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 a whole nother show, Miss Michael. That's a whole nother show. But you know what's really interesting? This wasn't diagnosed in me till I was adult. I actually have an auditory processing deficit. And it was something that, you know, my parents know, but nobody knew, you know, what was going on. And I just I was an only child, so I got to orchestrate my world according to what I needed. And it's interesting that something that has shown up in, in both, both boys. And it's one of those things that, you know, people uh, l learn internal 
mechanisms of coping for that, but it does have a lifelong pro- trajectory for sure. Absolutely. And, and you're, you're right. We could do a whole show on this, on this topic, but it, what we have to understand is that we need to continue to do more with development. For instance, we'll just speak on autism briefly. Uh, throughout my career, autism went from something that, oh, yeah, you kind of knew what that was. Uh, and, yeah, that kid probably has autism to something that, well, it now becomes a whole spectrum. And so kids, based on their varying intellectual abilities, may be able to get by a little longer without being diagnosed with something. Uh, even as, as in your case, Dr. Carroll, you, you can get by and you can do well but something's still not right. But because you're doing okay, people aren't kind of poking and digging. And we realize that with autism, uh, so so doctors should be screening for autism as early as 18 months of age now, uh, because we have better tools to identify. And we know that if we identify these things earlier, the outcomes are better. So uh, we have to be vigilant. Uh, you have to work with your healthcare team. And when you think something's not wrong with your child's behavior or development, bring it up to your pediatrician, bring it up to your doctor, because these are discussions that must be had, even if things seem okay, and you're still worried about it, it's something you have to reevaluate time after time. That's why kids have so many doctor's appointments in the first couple of years of life. They're coming in every couple of years. It's not just to check the weight or make sure their heart is beating. It's making sure their development, because that brain is so powerful early on. Absolutely. Now, we want to take the last five minutes to talk about what's coming up. You're going to get to talk about what's coming up. I'm going to get to talk about what's coming up. And this is when I'm going to get you to commit to come back in June. So, <laughs> so July 17th, conference coming up. We're planning to be live. Tell us about your annual conference. Yes, this is the Licensed to Live conference. You can find more out about it at Licensed to Live. L-I-C-E-N-S-E-D-T-O-L-I-V-E.com. And this is an annual program this year. uh, Last year, we did it virtually, of course, uh, due to the pandemic. But as things are getting better, we are going to be live in Philadelphia. We are going to be in Old City. It is going to be an amazing time. Dr. Carroll will be one of the featured speakers. And it is a time for uh, empowerment, inspiration, and and change in your own life. We focus around career change, but it's really looking at change in your own life because a career is just a simple portion of what we do. It's really about changing your body, changing your mind, changing your spirit, and moving on. So we can't wait to have you guys on July 17th live and in Philadelphia. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Oh, I'm going to get to see people. (laughs) Meeting that I went to. It was like, we we can hardly concentrate on on, on the meeting because it was was like, oh, other human being. But anyway, so we'll be talking a lot about that. I hope that you'll be able to participate on our Father's Day show, which is my third anniversary of being on air. So, and if we can, we can borrow you for that first hour of the day before family celebrations 
and whatnot um, get started. So what's coming up for me, Dr. Carol, is I'm so excited on Tuesday, this Tuesday, April 20th. Where is it? Where is it? At 12 noon, well, 1230 to 1.30 is the digital launch of my book. It's a, it's a journal, 90-day journal, Meditation in a Time of Madness journal. It's a 90-day journal. So important that people have a way of capturing, of talking to yourselves, writing notes down, being able to go back and reflect. My Dr. Maya Angelou said, there is no greater pain than this than that of an untold story. So Dr. Jared and I both want to hear your stories. We want you to tell your story to yourself and see, you know, Dr. Jared's my big brother in medicine. I, I, I just have to get prolific and catch up with him and all of his publications and all of the things that he's written about. So I want you all to promise me that you'll come right back here on Tuesday morning between 1230 and 130 and participate in the digital launch. So that's my, you know, exciting news of the week. Of course, I'll be here Monday through Thursday on Meditation in a Time of Madness, the morning show. And Dr. Jarrett, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on, for speaking about you know your passion. I didn't even know this was one of your passions in terms of you know your your speaking topics and whatnot. Again, it happened through conversation. You know, it's like you know, Dr. Jared, what do you think about this? And then I was like, oh my goodness, you know how how blessed am I that you know here's a person who's expert in this. Here's a person who's taking this and really. Being, being the business of being about change for our nation's children, critically needed at this time. So you could see, this is why I wanted you to meet this spiritual being having a human experience and showing up in excellence in all ways and at all times for us. And I'm so grateful. So thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Carol. It's been an absolute pleasure being on your show today. And I would love to continue the conversation for all of you guys out there listening today. Just simply follow me at Dr. Jarrett. All right. We've got some accolades here. Yes, early intervention is key. OTs are big in that area. Martha, Miss Martha is loving you. Um, so Miss Rebecca sounds like an excellent conference. License to live. Yes. So, Miss Linda, thank you. Yes, you're welcome, Miss Patricia. Yes, yes, yes. And let's see. Oh, my friend, Mr. Aubrey up there. Yes, great show this morning. So, listen, we're going to go get out of here next week, next week. So, Dr. Jared, are you ready for this? My superstar friend is none other than the travel queen herself, Dr. Yvette McQueen, because we are getting ready to come out. We need to know how to safely travel, how to move about. Dr. Yvette McQueen, another superstar, top 1% of doctors in the nation. She'll be here with us next week, and we're going to learn how to travel safely amidst this, you know, kind of opening up that we're seeing going on during our global pandemic. So Dr. Jarrett, we're going to let the uh, people go on and get out of here. I'll meet you back in the green room for a few minutes. Thank you so much. And this is yours truly, Dr. Carol Penn with Weightless in Mind, Body, and Spirit.